I mean, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is really just to to do your best. And that's good enough. And I think everything else is just to get you to do your best or to get you to a place where you feel confident in doing your best. But I think that's really what's most important. I believe that your personal life and your professional life are inherently linked. And when you do the work on both sides, you can become the most successful version of yourself. This is a place where wisdom meets leadership, where success meets spirituality. Welcome to Do the Work with Denise Love Hewitt. I feel lucky to understand and know intimately the power of friendship. I always say that I'm really, really, really rich in friendship. And I know many people who keep their friendship surface. They don't go there to keep the peace. And when we do that, we rob ourselves of a deep, intimate connection. I think a lot of people think those types of conversations are reserved for your romantic partner, but your romantic partner can't be everything to you. That's why your friends are so important because they provide the other color to the canvas um, to illuminate your life, to paint your life. There are lots of people walking around with friends, but not friendship. To be in a relationship with a friend requires a different set of tools. It's not charged by attraction or sex or any of those things. It's just charged by a deep appreciation and admiration for the person. So when you hit those speed bumps, you get to have these uncomfortable conversations that deepen your relationship, but are also awesome blueprint for your romantic relationships. Over the past year and during the pandemic, I had many conversations with people that expressed dissatisfaction with their friends. I think they felt that a lot of their friends weren't showing up. Obviously, it was a very trying time for a lot of people. But my response is always, you get what you give. If you're not reliable and present and you're inconsistent in your friendships, you can't expect other people to be reliable and present when you need them. The flip side is that we are also in charge of ourselves. So if someone continually emotionally dumps on you, you can set the boundary or have a conversation to make that relationship more reciprocal. We can set the bar for how we deserve to be treated. Allowing yourself to be seen is truly one of the greatest gifts in the entire world. And we have the beautiful opportunity to allow ourselves to be seen by our friends in a very non-judgmental space. And I hope that you can all discover and experience the magic and depth of friendship because my friendships have been things I hold so dear. I mean, truly one of the, the most amazing experiences of my life is that I get to be friends with some of the people you see on this podcast. It has enriched and expanded my life. And I hope that I encourage anyone who is afraid of speaking their truth or being seen by their friends that this will allow you to take that step to deepen those relationships and change your life. So thank you. Today, I get to sit here with my sister, Brittany Escovito, founder of Beyond 8. Brittany and I go way, way back to when we're just kids in New York, working for other people, going out every weekend and just having the greatest time. And then I moved to LA. And what's so special about Brit is that we've grown in similar directions, despite not being in the same place. And so no matter how much time passes, I feel like we are just still in this really special space. Um, and I cherish that. And she has built a leading agency all by herself, queen that she is. 
producing events for Solange Knowles, Pierre Moss, Gucci, Red Bull, and so many more people. She's expanded the agency now into video. She's growing so rapidly and she survived the pandemic, which is was really hard for a lot of businesses to do. I'm in awe of her, how she's built her company, her dedication, her heart, and her hustle. So Britt, thanks for being here. Oh my goodness. I love that intro. So happy to be here. So proud of you. Always excited to chat with you and and have our deep philosophical conversations. Yeah, it's (laughs) the best. I'm excited to see. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for this conversation today. And the audience will get a glimpse of what that's like. This is what we we're just we're just bringing out what we do to everybody else to hear. So let's start. I want to start very, very simply. Why don't you tell everyone what Beyond Eight is from your perspective and really the why? Yeah. So Beyond Eight is, in layman's terms, an experiential agency. We produce events from fashion shows to conferences, live events, um, as you mentioned, now film and video production, really, you name it, we run the gamut, anything that is impactful and that is meaningful and that is exciting and has to do with putting something together and producing it, we kind of do. What it means to me is an opportunity, you know, you mentioned us starting out in, in New York and how our careers were when we were younger. And I think that starting my own agency more than anything was an opportunity to change what the landscape looked like. And then also to provide additional opportunities to people like myself that really didn't feel like there was much space for a black and Mexican girl from California, you know, working in New York and all of those kinds of things. So now I have the privilege and honor and opportunity to hire so many incredible people that may have been passed over or may not get that shot. And also to do that with kindness and grace and to have a good time. It's still super stressful. But in a nutshell, I think that that's really what my uh, what my why is. And you just had a very big milestone that I think we need to talk about. So why don't you share with everyone what you just did? So I've worked with Pierre Moss as a brand since inception. Kirby and I worked really closely to start the company pretty much together. And I've had the opportunity to produce nearly every show that he's done since then. So it's been about eight years. And in just two weeks ago in July, he was the first Black American designer to participate in couture, in French couture. And... Which if you guys don't know, it's, it's massive. It's so massive. And you don't see me, I'm like cheering on the, like behind here, but like it, it is such a huge like milestone and also like sad that like it's taken this long for that to be something that has happened. Um, but yeah, we gotta, we gotta celebrate like the wins. The, yeah. It's like a, it's like the Super Bowl almost because you have Paris Fashion Week happens every single year. There's multiple fashion weeks, but couture is like the most elite, um, the most exclusive, a very incredibly rare opportunity. There's very few designers that show during couture. So for Pierre Moss to be invited to participate was already a huge opportunity. And then in addition to that, um, Kirby Bean, who he is, wanted to still show in New York. Um, So for for the Federation to then also allow us to show in New York and still be listed on the calendar 
was huge. And the show took place at Madam C.J. Walker's estate. Uh, For those of you that don't know who Madam C.J. Walker is, she is the first self-made female millionaire. (laughs) And that's why I love the distinction because, and I take my time with that. It's not that she was a Black woman, yes, but that's not actually the distinction for her being the first self-made woman millionaire. So she built this incredible estate. It's in Irvington, New York. She only lived there for two years and then she actually passed in the home. She created her legacy and her uh, wealth through hair care products. And the beauty about her story is that she started out to help other women entrepreneurs. And so the whole purpose of her having the house was to be able to do events there, to host things there, to train women entrepreneurs. And so for that to be the the foundation and the history that are, you know, in that soil and on those grounds, and then for us to be able to create a couture show on the same land was incredible. Richard Lou Dennis purchased the property in 2018. So it's just like, there's so many layers of such an incredible, rich Uh, Black American story that was told through what we did and how we did it. Me being obviously a Black female founder as well, producing it. There were so many incredible women involved. Most of the heads and leads of the show actually were women, like the choreographer, the head of the live stream team, the casting director, the head designer. Like, I mean, almost everyone you could think of were incredibly strong Black women which I love. And we want to see so much more of, and I'm just so proud of you. And if you haven't looked up the collection yet, I encourage you to check it out. Yeah. And the other thing to state about the collection inspiration were, was Black inventions um, or inventions by Black people. So it was anything from the AC unit to a lampshade to Hair rollers, which was incredible. A lot of press around that one. But they were all really, really interesting, creative pieces. And most importantly, they got people to talk and they got people to think about individuals they probably hadn't even heard of. Yeah. And the contributions that Black culture has created to America time and time over again and not getting the same visibility that it deserves. Exactly. <laughs> that part. That, that part. So, Britt, you've always been the whole time I've known you, like a deeply, deeply spiritual person. I would say, arguably, probably more integrated in that than maybe I was when we were sort of younger. I've sort of been on a journey since then, but have always had like sort of those types of people around me. I admire that about you. You've just always had sort of a, a deep faith. And I want to really understand where that comes from and how it shows up at work. It's interesting. I grew up in a Catholic church. My dad is Mexican and we I grew up, you know, going to Catholic school and doing all of those kinds of things. And then when my parents divorced, I was very conflicted. Obviously, my family would still pray and they would go to church and do all of the things. But I was angry, very rebellious and found myself on a very different journey as it pertained to religion and spirituality. My mom was always someone that believed and still does like mind over matter and very much about like positive thinking and, you know, your thoughts are things and 
all of that. And so I actually, you may not even know this, I actually spent time really studying Islam for a couple of years. I dated a few Muslims and I, you know, was like reading the Quran, but then also going to church. And I think that I just spent time trying to figure out what made sense for me and what did I believe and, and, and what I came back to was still Christianity, but also just knowing that what we're doing is so much bigger than us, you know, like what we're creating and what we're giving and, and how we show up in the world. It's not just me. I mean, I even said what we were able to do at the Pierre Moss Couture show, which those of you that don't know, Thursday was slated to be on July 8th. And then the show got rained out. So we did the whole show within two days. We redid pretty much everything, a second show on Saturday. And I kept saying, I'm like, this isn't me. Like it's, it's physically impossible that I was able to do what I did. And so in those moments, I think I'm always reminded that it's our ancestors that live and speak through us. It's those that came before us. It's the individuals that are around us. It's the energy of you in LA and, and me in New York. And like, you can feel all of that. Like all of our, I can at least, I can feel all of that. And that's what encourages me. It inspires me. It keeps me going. I, you know, I definitely listen to gospel music most mornings to kind of like start my day and to also refocus myself. I think that whatever your connection is, whether it's through meditation or through prayer or silence or, or walks or connection, I think that if you're, if, if we all are able to take a moment to like pause and realize that it's not just about us in human form for the short years that we live on this planet, then I think we can all do a lot more for those that are here and those that will come after us. What you talk about here is something I talk about a lot too, which is spirituality can sort of be how we define it. I don't necessarily subscribe to religion, but I find spirituality in a lot of different you know, things from sort of each practice that speak to me and my definition of how I walk through space. And so like studying other religions or studying other modalities, I think is actually a really helpful tool to define sort of like how our faith shows up. Or you talk about the ancestors. I'm actually very new to this idea of like speaking and living in communion with our ancestors. Um, It was sort of forced upon me this past (laughs) January. Oh my gosh. I, I don't know if I told you the story. This is a little woo-woo for the audience, but in January, I have a friend, dear friend, who's also an astrologist, and we were talking, and she was doing, like, my three-month projection, and she was like, you need to start doing ancestor work, and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what, I'm going to sit and pray to my ancestors? Like, what are you talking about? I do that now, but let's just, like, let's just say, at the time, I'm like, girl, but I'm, like, a Virgo, and I'm very, you know, self, self-driven. I, like, I take, I might be stubborn, but I listen. So, of course, yeah. I put in my calendar, I go, March 1, Google Ancestor Work. The middle of February, one of my mentors calls me, and she goes, I just saw the most amazing healer. I'm booking you an appointment. She books me the appointment, March 2nd, with a Chinese ancestral healer. And so, when you don't have a teacher, the teacher shows up. When you don't know where to start, it always shows up. And let me yeah. tell you, this healer, this ancestral healer has changed my life. And so this is what's cool about the process is that when we're listening and surrendering, like things show up. When we talk about things bigger than us, you talk about the show and not just being your energy. It's like there is something at work that we may not be able to quantify. We may not be able to like, you know, define or we can't necessarily like articulate it. But if you're if you're living with it, it's undeniable. 
100%. And I love what you said, because it's really about creating space. If you allow it to be an option, you create the space for it to show up, it will. And I believe that in all things in in business and partnership and friendship and in all ways, like if you think about it, and you imagine that it's possible, that's why vision boards, although I don't personally do them very often, but that's why vision boards are so key. Because as you start to see what could be your life, it honestly, like begins to create itself. Yeah, it's never on our timeline. But certainly, if we're living as if we're, well, maybe it's not on my timeline. I'm a very impatient person. You're like, I made my vision board last night. Why don't I have everything? When I I, a lot of the things I've envisioned, I've like made like two, like two or three years before it actually came to fruition. And then you're like, I mean, I think it's a story Jim Carrey says where he wrote himself like a $10 million check yep. and put a date on it. Right. But it wasn't like next month. It was like, I think like five or seven years in the future. And then right. that year he made $10 so million. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the other thing I want to know, let's go back to the Pierre Moss couture show for a second. Cause it, it references something that I want to understand. Okay. So it rains out. You have to do the whole thing over in two days. Obviously, that is incredibly stressful and expectation versus reality. We've all been there. And so in that moment, two questions. A, okay, you find faith. You like know something bigger than you is at work. But the reality is we can be like, okay, cool. Yeah, the universe is helping me out. How do you stay in that moment a good boss? How do you stay not stressed? Mm -hmm. How do you stay present? How do you stay kind? Like these are the things I always wonder because under deep stress, the amount of jobs, production jobs I've worked, whether like, TV, movies, events, that all of a sudden things get stressful. People turn into like the gnarliest versions of themselves, <laughs> like just like yelling. And like, I mean, I worked on a movie where it was so high stress. We were shredding the script every day because it was like, couldn't get out. And the energy on that set honestly made me be like, I do not want to work in wardrobe in movies because I was like, this is mm-hmm. so, so insane how uh, tense everyone is all the time. Like if we're not enjoying it, why right. are we doing it? And so I want, I want to understand, like, what, how, how do you yeah. stay that's that person good, in those moments? That's a good question. I think, and I don't really think about this, but I would imagine it's because we set the tone much, much, much earlier, much, much earlier than you have all of the stress. So before Thursday, when we got rained out, you know, we're having conversations two weeks prior to the show And in each of our production meetings, I'm speaking to the magnitude of this show, how important it is, how much we need to honor Madam CJ Walker, how much this project means to more than us, but to other people. How do we show up? How are we respectful to one another? How are we respectful to the house and the property and like all of those things? And it might sound silly, but I think that when you're rooted in that and you really feel like you're not doing it just for you. You're doing it for so many more people. There is no other option. And I also just always do my best anyway to try not to lose it. You know, when I started out, the company I worked for, my former boss would yell at us all the time. You know, like that was her MO. She was always screaming at someone. And I did not ever want that to be the type of company and like environment that that I created. So I think that when there's high stress. It doesn't mean that you're not short tempered. I think that that's natural. I don't think there's any way you can get around that. But I think it's about 
I always say this too, working with a team you really enjoy. So even my vendors and my staff and anyone that we work with, I always say like, can I hang out with you for 36 hours straight without sleeping? That for me is important. Like, do we have other things that we can talk about? Are we equally as devoted and committed to, you know, doing an excellent job or giving our best or, you know, getting as close to the vision and that's super key. So all of my vendors have honest to God become nearly family to me and we can hang out all night and not sleep and still enjoy one another. And I think that that's cute. I mean, that's key. I think that having grace and then you also start to reevaluate what's important. So in thinking about executing Saturday, there were things we had to prioritize, you know, so what has to be as close to perfect, so to speak, as possible? And then what things are we going to do away with? Or what's like, you know, is the safety of everyone more important? Obviously. So we increased our security. Like we just did the things that we could do. We called in additional help. We increased the team size. It was a lot that went into it. And I think that with each member of the team being nearly equally as invested as myself and feeling like they personally, you know, they had skin in the game. And that makes a huge difference. When you empower the individuals that you're working with and you edify them and they feel equally as important as myself, then they're going to give that much more of themselves to the project. So every single person they showed up. And so, you know, it doesn't mean I wasn't stressed, but they showed up and I was at least able to, to be happy and, and smile throughout the process. I took a 30 minute nap before the Saturday show, which I can't even understand, but I only slept for 30 minutes and we went through all day. And then I even went out that night. <laughs> the adrenaline. Was exactly. Real. <laughs> Wow. Really just doing it like we used to do it. Um, So I want to, I want to go back a second though, because you said some really like pertinent things that I like. You talk about sort of empowering everyone on your team and each individual. And I think to, and like making it about the collective versus the self, I think is a good distinction. And I, to be that as a boss and a leader, I think that involves a lot of self-work, right. To sort of rid yourself of your ego and get to a place where you can do that. I don't think, uh, I think a lot of people think they've done that and they haven't done it. And so in practice, I mean, have you ever been tested sort of in practice with your team where you're like, you know, cause it's, it's a mirror all the time of where am I, where can I do better as a, as a leader and a manager? It, like, have you had those moments in those moments? Like what, what do you go to? How do you continue to self-improve? I actually ask them, (laughs) I have like very honest conversations with my team, you know, so I'll go to them and and my team is also incredibly vocal. I've encouraged it from the beginning and will always encourage it. So they'll state when something doesn't feel right or they're dissatisfied with anything like a client or a direction or, or what we're working on. And that includes me. So if they don't feel supported, or they don't understand something, I very much have an open door policy as far as that's concerned. And they will for sure come and say like, hey, Brittany, like, you know, this, this is either too much or 
I don't have like the bandwidth for this, or you didn't send me X, Y, and Z, or you didn't provide me with what have you, or can we talk about this process and system because it's not working for me. Someone just said that last week, you know? So I mean, (laughs) well, but what's key is that actually psychological safety is the number one indicator of a company success. People that feel safe and heard at a company are more likely to create employee retention. They're more likely to stay. And so a lot of things, a lot of people, little leaders think they can handle employee feedback until they start getting the employee feedback. And then they're like, "Uh, why did I open this door? And the fact that you continue to allow that to happen in that way, I think is really profound because it's really hard to take in that feedback, build a business, iterate upon it and still like focus on your, you know, your sales and your bottom line and your execution. It's not easy. It isn't. I mean, they're vocal about their salaries too. Like they're very vocal. (laughs) about all things. But I think it's important, you know, I mean, I even said, I remember early in my career, you know, looking at budgets and and thinking like, wow, this production budget is a few hundred thousand dollars or X amount of money. And I'm only getting paid this little bit of salary and I'm working so hard. And why is there not more money for me? Why isn't my boss, like, why doesn't my boss value me enough to pay me more and not really understanding or having the language to articulate that or feeling comfortable or confident enough or, and then you just feel bitter. You, you have resentment towards your job. You are angry at your boss. You're just like mad. And I think that that's something that I've even, you know, had conversations with my team about if there is ever a point that anyone has a question about, hey, the scale of this project is really large. I'm making X amount. Can we negotiate or discuss this, that, and the other? You know, I mean, the teams, they get bonuses. There's different ways that I definitely reward them and make sure that they feel and know that they're appreciated and celebrated and that they're not overlooked. There's certain individuals on my team that it's like, you know, like I I couldn't do what I'm doing without them. And that's the reality. And I think that sometimes, and even now more than ever, it's even more challenging, I think, to find really solid and loyal, committed employees. And I think that if or when an employer starts to take anyone for granted, it's just not beneficial to anyone, you know? So I think that I do my best to find an in-between where they're happy and I'm happy. It doesn't mean that it's always perfect. It doesn't mean that everyone meets in the middle, but at least we will always have understanding. At the very least, they'll understand where I'm coming from. So I may not be able to always grant them what they're requesting, but we can have conversations around it and I can explain, okay, these are the goals for the company right now. We need to hit X, Y, and Z marks. And then we can talk about this, that, and the other, as far as like growth is concerned. So I have very honest conversations with a team across the board. And we also, for the most part, talk about clients too, you know, like, is this a good fit for the company? Does it make sense? Does it not? I do personal gut checks, but I also understand that sometimes I'm interested in projects that aren't actually beneficial to the company. So I just recently brought someone on that's helping uh, with all new business development and growth. And she's another person that I can bounce things off of. And she can say like, is this really a good fit for the business or not? Whereas before I didn't necessarily have that. So sometimes I would 
take on projects that like we shouldn't do. And then the team is frustrated just as much, you know? I think that's a really good piece of information is that uh, when we're building businesses, especially startups, a lot of times we're like taking where the money comes from. Like we need the money, we need the money. And I think taking a zoom out and being like bigger picture, what is right for the core mission of this business, the core financial health of this business, all those sorts of questions to ask, because it's not necessarily about the, the doing every single job, but doing the right jobs and right. interviewing clients to make sure they're right fit for what you're doing. And I think that's easily overlooked when we're building rapidly. Yeah. But I think too, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently in the last like two weeks in the beginning of my career, in the beginning of starting beyond day, it was important for us to grow. And I don't want to say take on everything because I definitely didn't, but to go wide and try to have as many opportunities as possible, work with as many, you know, big companies as possible. I think most agencies are, you know, looking to work with the Nikes and the Apples and Facebooks and whomever, Netflix, HBO, whomever it is, like you have these targets and these goals to work with these major companies. And so through that process and through that journey, you're just trying to get as much experience as you can. Like, okay, I'm going to do this. I want to do that. I want to do get bigger. I want to do more. I want to do this kind of event. I want to appeal to this kind of client. And I think that only now do I feel secure in our portfolio and in what we have produced and what we provide. And am I really clear on what makes us unique I think the care and the attention that we bring to the projects that we work on um, is something special, but that is only possible if I protect it. So now we're really not necessarily slowing down, but at least taking a moment in between to think through, like you said, is this a good project? Is this the appropriate client? Do we have the bandwidth? I think that's, my question every day, like, do we have the bandwidth to do this project well? Well, I think you're right. You have to build credibility for a sort of like center yourself in the, as a known quantity in the market before you can get super choosy. And so you want some of those bigger clients to sort of prove like that you have the, you know, external validator they need to like give you the job. Exactly. Um, <laughs> which unfortunately is so annoying. I always hate that. Cause I'm always like, who, like, I'm not obviously uh, don't buy into tons of external validators. I buy into people, but a lot of people do. They need that sort of like resume of credibility to have trust before they yeah, take the it's chance. Your valid, it's your validation. You know, you, you look at the website and then you see the logos of previous clients and that's what someone then thinks of or deems you worthy or able to execute for them. So as you're growing, every company goes from, you know, scrappy startup to sort of bigger size to much, much bigger. And there's different growing pains every step of the way. What is one of the growing pains you're currently experiencing? Right now, it's staffing, believe it or not. Guys, you heard it here first. (laughs) I have been hiring people kind of left and right. And we keep interviewing. I I mean, I interviewed someone today. My assistant interviewed someone else earlier today. We are looking for uh, producers. We're looking for line producers, um, individuals that work in film, TV, video production, experiential, like across the board, as well as designers like renders are are um, really talented creative 
like experiential designers and renders are hard to come by, you know? Um, I think they are completely underrated actually. And they're so key and so important. So also looking to, yeah, find more people. (laughs) Okay. So staffing. So that's a good one. We'll spread the word. We'll make sure people know to reach out to Beyond Date. So the other thing that I think is integral into sort of who, how, and who you've become is that you come from an extremely musical family, mm-hmm. and a bunch of wild artists. And I'd love to know more about how that has shaped you uh, as a person. It's interesting because my childhood, well, pause and just state who we're talking about. So my aunt, my aunt is Sheila E., was a drummer and musician and performer. And then my grandfather is Pete Escovito, Latin jazz musician, percussionist. My dad is a percussionist. My um, Juan Escovito, my uncle, Pierre Michael Escovito is also a producer. He's done TV and he's also, I mean, everyone in my family, pretty much on my dad's side are all musicians or in the entertainment space. And funny enough, I didn't think about music or entertainment as it pertained to my career. It wasn't really something I was interested in. It was more so it was just my life. I would go to gigs all the time. My dad was always on tour. My aunt was on tour. Like everyone performed. We would go to shows, but I didn't think about it as something that I would do as a career. I went to school for fashion design. I thought I was going to be a menswear designer. I was going to move to Paris. I was going to speak French, all of these things. And unbeknownst to me, that was not my calling. So as I started working in production, I, you know, initially started primarily in fashion. So I did a lot of fashion shows for several years. And then the second I started expanding, I, I said to myself, I really want to do more experiential projects. I wanted to do things outside of fashion. I didn't find fashion quite as fulfilling, or at least the clients I was working with. And then I found myself like, I really want to work with more artists and musicians, and I want to do live events. And although it's not something I went to school for, it was very, it came very easily and very naturally, because I was always backstage, I would listen to all the conversations of my family when they were at shows. And talking about simple things like hospitality writers and why they're so important or just being in studios and just understanding the basics pertaining to like AV and lighting and, um, you know, stage design, et cetera. And so it came natural also working with talent and celebrities also came very naturally for me because I treat them just like anyone else. And it's also very important that anyone on my team does the same thing. And so I think that it was a very easy transition, a very natural transition for myself and and for the team. But in terms of like, do you think you initially had like resistance towards it? Maybe because you were around it all the time and it was, you know, like it's a very, it's a very interesting way to grow up. Yeah. I mean, I think that I had resistance as it pertained to being a performer and being an entertainer. But I didn't necessarily have any thoughts pertaining to working in production, you know, so I didn't even think about that part. But as far as being a performer, I didn't want to do it. I was like, you guys are nuts. (laughs) You know, like the amount of random people that come up and talk to you. I think it's weird when I, you know, celebrities that like can't go places and do certain things. I just think it's odd. 
none of that was ever desirable to me. So I knew, and I also was incredibly shy. I'm still shy, even though I have like a big personality, but I'm, I am Denise, really put me on a stage. I find that really hard to believe. Stage fright or whatever the distinction is. I'm not with that. Okay. So you just want, we just want to be on a mic on a stage, but trust me, she is not really that shy. (laughs) Well, that, yeah. So I was like, I would never do any of that. You know, I was like, I wouldn't, I could never be in front of the camera. I could never be, well, I don't want to say never, but it wasn't something that was appealing to me. It wasn't that I was a little averse. However, working on the backside, the back end of things, it was more interesting. You know, how do you make the celebrity shine? How does one support and get the celebrity to where they need to go or give them all of the things that they need? I was always great at like organization and logistics and didn't realize that all of like those skill sets could work in this capacity. So I want to extrapolate this, take it a little bit further than where I'm going to start with. But I think that, you know, when you grow up in a family of performers, it's a lot of, you know, just big personalities, a bit of chaos. And and then you get to, you know, the next phase of your life, which is now your own agency with different stressors. And what have been sort of your through line tools that you've used to sort of keep your peace? My friends and my family, like that's one and two. I think being grounded with my the friendships that I have and then staying really close to my family. Everyone's still in California, but I go home as often as I possibly can. I talk to my mother almost every single day, which is abnormal for most no, people. No, I talk to my mom every day. <laughs> because I'm the type of person that I actually think I'm, I'm weird about mortality. Like I just don't think time is guaranteed. And so I have this really weird long-term foresight that I think most people in like their twenties don't. And I have been doing this since I went to college. I call my parents every day just because I don't want to not have regret, not having a conversation. So we take I agree. And you just gave me chills, but I a hundred percent agree. I think it's so important and so key. So I have a small, but kind of large, but small, like tight knit group of friends, you know, and you being one of them that I prioritize having relationship with, connection with, um, they keep me grounded. They remind me who I am. They will call me out. Like they're there when I want to talk about work. They were there. there if I want to talk about a guy, like all of the things. And I think, you know, I have friends that I travel with, like all of it. And I think that that for me is where I feel peace. That and then also, and then the third would be traveling. I love to travel. <laughs> but you really do. She really does have a very tight knit group of people that she's, she's been friends with for a really long time. Like I know most of Brit's friends, which I, you know, I have like disparate friend groups. I'm sort of like, you know, my birthday party is like when I bring everyone together, we, you know, super connect all the people. I'm getting a little better about it, but I've not been as good at creating like, here's my, my people. Everyone knows everyone. A lot of my friends. Yeah. A lot of them have been around for the last 12 years, 10 years, eight years, you know, a long time. And, but I need that. Like I personally know that I need and I value individuals that can appreciate my growth because (laughs) we have come. We have grown. We have grown. I just want everyone to know before we jump into our rapid fire, Brit in our early 20s had a birthday party. I went looking like a grandma. I thought I was going to like a penthouse apartment. 
No, it was like penthouse, the strip club. And I showed up in like a geriatric Luke. <laughs> and um, to this day, I cannot even believe like that's how naive I was. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to a penthouse apartment. It didn't even cross my mind. And that's how wild I was that I didn't even think I needed to tell anyone they were coming to a strip club because why not? Why wouldn't you be going to a strip club? I mean, it, it seems it's so obvious now. I'm like so mortified, but it, it speaks to like my sweet, sweet character of my youth. You were um, wild okay. too, so stop. <laughs> so we're going to jump into our rapid fire section. So I ask everyone the same five questions. Just go with your intuition. First one, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? I would tell my 20-year-old self to slow down and enjoy being young and you have a long time to be an adult. <laughs> Mine is uh, relax. That's it's like basically the same thing. Mine yeah. is relax. Chill out. Like I was not, yeah, it was like every career milestone had to be done tomorrow. I mean, you don't realize how long, if we're lucky, how long the journey is. What's the last book you read? You know what's interesting? I haven't been reading at all. Like, at all. But what's the last book you read? <laughs> well, I was reading, um, what is it, Cass? Oh, I have to read that. Yeah, it's on my list. It's very heavy. And I stopped paused. But yes. But I haven't read. This is like the longest and probably I couldn't even tell you how many years that I haven't been reading. It's okay. We go through. I went through a phase and now I'm like reading a book a week. So... Yeah, I'm gonna get back. But yeah, get back. you know, you had a, you had a bit, you had a bit. It's been you're coming back to the world, coming back into live events. Give yourself a break, okay? It's okay, you'll get back. Okay, what are you struggling with right now? A few things, but I would say balance. I'm prioritizing it, but I'm still struggling with it. What is bringing you joy right now? New experiences. I just went on a road trip for two weeks. And I saw several states that I probably never thought I would even ever go to. Um, and that the beauty of what's man, I mean, not man, what's naturally made and created like by God and by nature is really bringing me so much joy. I love that. It is really amazing when you go through this country and see all the different topography. Yeah, I went. We went. It's Arizona, Utah, uh, Wyoming, uh, Montana. It was incredible. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll send Those you good places. Send me pics. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I mean, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is really just to, to do your best. And that's good enough. And I think everything else is just to get you to do your best or to get you to a place where you feel confident in doing your best. But I think that's really what's most important. I love that. Okay. I'm going to run through our takeaways from the episode and then we will say goodbye to Britt. But before we do that, we're going to just run through some of the highlights of gems she shared with us in this past hour or so. So what we're doing is so much bigger than us. You're in, you're co-creating your life with the universe. So don't forget that. The collective energy around us helps us to keep going. And as Britt has said, she has friends and family that help ground her to do that. In terms of practical business, uh, what I loved that she said was that she sets the tone far before the production so that people can be aligned on a mission. Surround yourself with a team that you can hang out with for 36 hours without sleeping. And on that team, empower each individual to make sure that they are seen 
and heard and feel just as important as everyone else. And I also love that you talked about having a very open feedback stream in your company, because I think, as I said earlier, psychological safety is the number one key indicator of whether or not people are going to stay at your company and also how your company can grow and succeed. And the other thing I really, really loved was the idea that when you look at the business that's coming in, you really think about what is right for your business and looking at the bigger picture rather than just sort of each short-term moment. And everyone, slow down. Slow down. Important. That's it. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me. Thank you, Denise. So much love to you. So much fun. Thank you all for listening. You can listen and subscribe to Do The Work on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can find ours. It makes a huge difference if you could review, share, and rate this podcast. I want to give a big thank you to Entertainment Speakers Bureau and Angela, Wine Designs Media, Lenny Skolnick for the musical intro, Lindsay Johnson on the graphics, Olivia Christian on social. I'm so, so grateful. I hope you find or continue living in your purpose. Thank you.